0: Agenda. A voice in the desert. Now, here's Crystal Heat. Hey everybody, how you doing? Happy Thursday, one and all. Great to have you with us here on KVXL one point one FM Experience, Liberty Radio, and gracias to those of you tuning in on the podcast over at iTunes or SoundCloud. That, that means thank you, by the way, in case you are um, from like Minnesota or something and aren't sure what it means. Today I am tackling a few different topics, the two that I'm saving for later in the program I am pretty confident about, um, and I feel good about those conversations. This first one we're going to have, though, is about an issue that I think we need to t- discuss, but it's, it's one that's very sensitive and it's one that I have spent a lot of time uh, researching and a lot of time looking into. More time than I do with most things. I'll just put it that way. Because this topic is one that I was not very familiar with. And one that I think needs to be addressed in a, um, I, I I don't want to say in a cautious manner... But in a manner I think maybe differently than, than many of the things I address. I'm like, this is, this is thus is rightness and thus is wrongness and the two ne'er shall they meet type thing. But on this one, where I think that ultimately in the end, the, the right and the wrong is very clear, at least to me. The process of understanding the situation is something that we have to work on especially as Americans, because it's easy for us to read a headline or even an article from an American perspective and formulate an opinion very quickly without always understanding the history of different things. So, today we're going to start the show talking about South Africa. You may or may not know where we're going to end up with this, depending on how much you've been paying attention to uh, the news lately. And uh, not even necessarily national news, because a lot of times in our country we don't always report on things that are happening around the world, particularly if they don't fit into whichever network you're watching, uh, their, uh, their political agenda. And yes, network television does have those political agendas. So I want to tell you about something that's going on in South Africa right now. And to do that, we first need to understand just a little bit of the history of South Africa. I don't claim to be any kind of an expert on South African history or even the issue that we're going to discuss, but I have been researching it, and so I want to share with you the things that I have learned and maybe that you might learn too. So, South Africa, brief overview of their history. We know that about 2,000 years ago, uh, people in the western portion of South Africa became sheep herders and and ranchers, if you will, cattle herding. Uh, It was very much an agricultural uh, mindset in the western area of that country. And then uh, by about 200 AD, uh, people started doing farming and Ranching, so there was livestock and crops that were happening. Uh, we know that iron tools were introduced into the east of South Africa, and so that part of the country began becoming industrialized about two hundred a d so we've got uh centuries of South African history uh that that i'm I'm honestly going to just gloss over because I only have an hour in this program, and we have a lot to discuss today and that history is not as relevant to uh to not that it's not as relevant, but it's it's the part that, that comes after that I want to focus on. So at the end of the 15th century, uh, the Portuguese sailed past the Cape of Good Hope. So uh, back when exploration was a thing and we used big boats to sail around, the only way to get where the Dutch wanted to go, or excuse me, the Portuguese wanted to go, was to go down around the Horn of South Africa. So... These, these ships were always going from Europe down all the way around Africa and then back up to wherever they were trying to get to. In 1652, the first Europeans founded a colony in South Africa. The Dutch, led by a guy named Jan van Riebeck, uh, founded a base so that ships that were traveling from the Far East could be supplied on their way either to or from whatever European country they were, they were headed to. In 1658, the Dutch began importing slaves into South Africa. So they weren't enslaving the people that were in South Africa. They were importing slaves into South Africa and, uh, and began trading with the native people. Um, and there was, there, there was uh, some peace and harmony for the first about six, seven years that the Dutch had settled there. But in 1658, there was a war. The first of many, many, many wars in South Africa. That one between the Dutch and, um, and the, Afri- the South African uh, people. Eventually, the Dutch colony in South Africa expanded. And after 30 years of their, col- of, their, of their ship port being there, in 1688, French Huguenots, or Protestants, arrived to the country fleeing religious persecution uh, f- from Holland. As more and more of these Huguenots and other Dutch settlers came, uh, the native people were pushed out of their lands um, in some cases by by trade or by purchasing, but in many cases uh, simply by seizure of those of those lands so it 's the Dutch that were the first uh, white individuals to colonize in South Africa. By 1795, the British were on the move and they captured Cape Colony in South Africa, which they would give back to the Dutch in 1803 but take back from them again in 1806. And in 1814, the Dutch and the British had a treaty that gave the British ownership of Cape Colony. Then in 1812, the British founded Grahamstown. And in 1820, 4,000 Britons uh, were granted land by the Great Fish River, and that is when. Uh, things really started to take a turn in South Africa. It was in the early 1800s with the arrival of the British. Now, the Dutch settlers, who by that time had become known as the Boers, resented the British rule, right? So they were there first, and there's this tension between them. So you've got the Dutch, you've got the British, and you've got the South Africans, a variety of tribes, all living around each other in South Africa. In 1834 the British abolished slavery. Remember the Dutch had began importing slaves into South Africa. They'd been doing it by at this point for about 75 years and the Boers were were not happy with British rule. So then the Boers, which would be the Dutch settlers, they immigrated, they or migrated rather away from the British in what was called the Great Trek. So in 1838 uh the dutch people separated from the british colonists because they were fed up with them and headed away from 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 the Cape Colony and uh, and into a, n- another area of South Africa. I don't have time to go over all the geography and stuff for you because I'm, I'm taking way more time doing this than I was anticipating anyway. So uh, in 1838, those Dutch settlers, the Boers, fought and defeated the Zulus at the Battle of Blood River and eventually would found two publics, o- republics rather away from the British, the Orange Free State and Transvaal. In the 1850s, the British would recognize these two republics. Now, in 1867, diamonds were found in northern Cape and in 1871, diamonds were found at another place called Kimberley. Gold was discovered in 1886. Meanwhile, all this is going on. The British now are fighting Zulus in South Africa. They're defeated by the Zulus in some of the battles, but would go on to win the war. So increasingly, as, as, as diamonds and gold are being discovered, as the Dutch are going and settling other areas, the British decide that they want to bring all of South Africa, including the Boer Republics, under their control which eventually they would succeed in doing. I'm I'm really summarizing and fast forwarding, but we're going to skip down to 1899. There's a huge war in South Africa between the Boers or the descendants of the Dutch settlers and the British. Uh in 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 1900 the British were successful. The Boer people turned to guerrilla uh warfare and then the the British commander is the history of South Africa is just incredible what these people went through. Um, so the British commander would take these Dutch women and children to concentration camp, and more than 20,000 of them would die. In 1902, the Boers would finally surrender. The British would annex the Boer Republics. In 1910, we had a united South Africa come into place. Uh, It became known as the Union of South Africa, and they created a constitution. When that happened... Natives of South Africa, the black populations and the tribal populations of South Africa were considered second class citizens and would live in tribal reserves uh, for much of the of, of the nineteen hundreds and nineteen laws in nineteen thirteen and nineteen thirty six that were passed prevented them from owning land outside of certain areas they most of them were not allowed to vote and it was it was an oppressive time, so South Africa would fight uh Uh, The First World War against Germany, it would fight the Second World War against Germany, and then comes 1948. In 1948, a group of individuals known as the National Party came to power in South Africa. The National Party in South Africa, post having just fought Hitler, introduced a strict policy of apartheid. In South Africa, which would be uh, a part that just simply means like separateness. So uh, the white populations of South Africa and the black populations of South Africa, which were already segregated to a large degree, were now legally separated, and the segregation was extremely strict. That lasted for seven years, until 1955, when a a, a coalition of black, white, colored Indians all came together to form the Congress Alliance and adopt what they called a Freedom Charter. Now, I don't have time to get into all of this, but from there, we had all these political parties that would spring up in South Africa, uh, including... This guy named Nelson Mandela, who you may have heard of, and we'll talk about him in just a few minutes. In 1966, their prime minister would go on to be assassinated. And in 1990, 1990, okay, so just 27 years ago, a gentleman came to power named Willem de Klerk, who pledged to end apartheid. He was the one that would release Nelson Mandela from jail and introduced a new constitution that included rights for all and the first democratic elections in South African history were held in April 1994 and May 1994 when Nelson Mandela was elected president. So I know I just spent 15 minutes talking about that and I told myself I was only going to spend 20 minutes on South Africa issue total but I think that it's important that you understand that the history of South Africa, and, and I left out so much just because it's taking so long to get through this, because it's, I mean, how do you do the history of an entire nation in 15 minutes? But uh, it, it, the conflict in this country has been something that has been going on for literally hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of years. So, as as the, as the Dutch and the British were colonizing in South Africa, they would simply seize lands from the tribal people of that nation. In some instances, things were peaceful, and they would trade with the, the native people, But in most cases, that was not the way it was. So in 1913, and I mentioned this briefly, but just as a quick review before we get into what's coming. In 1913, the Natives Land Act earmarked only 8% of all of South Africa for its black population. The white population, who comprised about 20% of those living in the nation, owned about 90% of the land. And that division stood until 1991 with the fall of apartheid. 67% of South Africa currently is used for agriculture. And the vast majority of it right now is owned by white farmers. Descendants Of Dutch, British, Dutch and British colonizers. Now you have a little bit of the history. Let me take you to what's happening now. Today, in South Africa, 70 white farmers were killed in 2017, simply for being white farmers. 340 brutal attacks against white farmers were recorded last year, many of which included rape and torture. South Africa is experiencing, right now, incredible, incredible racial division much of it stemming from their really horrific history. I left out so much because this is a family program, but you should if you if you're not familiar with it, you should read about the history of South Africa, read about the Boers, read about the wars between the Boers and the and the Anglos. It's just incredible. But now the National Assembly of South Africa has voted in favor. I believe it was last week, of a motion to amend parts of the country's constitution. And in doing so, their plan is to allow the, expo- uh, the the they're going to take land away from white farmers without compensation. This was put forward by the Economic Freedom Fighters Party leader, Julius Malema. And of the, 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 the members of parliament, 241 voted in favor of this bill, while only 83 voted against it. Malima told his fellow politicians that the time for reconciliation is over. Now is the time for justice. We must ensure that we restore the dignity of our people without compensating the criminals who stole our land. Now contrast that for a moment, if you will, with these thoughts, which I'm going to read to you. These, these ones are not mine. Okay, these are quotes. For to be free is not merely, and they're all quotes from the same person, by the way, for to be free is not merely to cast off one's chains, but to live in a way that respects and enhances the freedom of others. Never, never, and never again shall it be that this beautiful land will experience the oppression of one by another. If you want to make peace with your enemy, you have to work with your enemy, then he becomes your partner. People respond in accordance to how you relate to them. If you approach them on the basis of violence, that's how they'll react. But if you say, we want peace, we want stability, we can then do a lot of things that will contribute towards the progress of our society. I detest racialism because I regard it as a barbaric thing, whether it comes from a black man or a white man. If there are dreams about a beautiful South Africa, there are also roads that lead to their goal. Two of these roads could be named goodness and forgiveness. Our daily deeds as ordinary South Africans most produce an actual South African reality that will reinforce humanity's belief in justice, strengthen its confidence in the nobility of the human soul, and sustain all our hopes for a glorious life for all. Those are all things said by Nelson Mandela. Contrast that now again with the current... Economic Freedom Fighters party leader Julius Malema, who said the time for reconciliation is over. Now is the time for justice. We must ensure that we restore the dignity of our people without compensating the criminals who stole our land. So literally, what the South African parliament has decided is that they will seize farmland owned or run by white farmers, without any type of retribution, and they will do so by whatever means necessary. Now, Nelson Mandela, he was by no means uh, perfect. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But when I look at what this, this man, Julius Malema, is proposing to do, and is apparently going to be successful in doing and i contrast that with what mandela did i mean he was the nation's first black prime minister he worked with leaders from both the black and white communities in a way that was really pretty phenomenal he began in his country a process of what they called reconciliation and reconciliation in south africa under nelson mandela now It wasn't always pretty, okay? I know that there were things that went on. If you're familiar with South African history and Nelson Mandela, even when he came into power, there were still a lot of things that were going on that he did not stop and that he did not speak out against. But, overall, he began this, what they called, reconciliation. And it wasn't simply a... A talking point. No, it was an actual official uh, legal process where every citizen had the opportunity to come forward and explain and discuss and talk about their own story of abuse or discrimination. Even those that were viewed as oppressors were given the opportunity to testify in government led community forums. So they were able to come together and have conversations as communities, both the oppressor and the oppressed. And in many cases, most of these forms were successful to the extent that people would seek and find forgiveness and healing and reconciliation. And as a result, the population of South Africa agreed not to prosecute those who had acted as members of the apartheid state. I mean, it was, that was huge. Nelson Mandela, just the fact that he was able to accomplish what he did is incredible. And I don't think that he would go the route that is being followed in South Africa currently. I think if he didn't do it then, right after apartheid had come to an end, I don't think he would do it now. 27 years later. I don't think that Nelson Mandela's solution would be to seize all the farmland from anyone who is white. As retribution for something that their ancestors did. Now, I again, I get it. Mandela quite honestly he was the head of a terrorist organization that was responsible for thousands of deaths you know we talk about mandela's release from prison but we don't often talk about why he was in prison to begin with he had strong ties to communism he he hailed uh, yasser arafat as 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 an incredible leader and 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 said that he was an outstanding freedom fighter for our generation and uh, he he thought that communism would Make South Africa a land of milk and honey um, and you know under his under his pre presidency and pre imprisonment he was responsible for the deaths of thousands of individuals, many much of which was was black on black crime, so he was not he was not this iconic figure that we should have our children aspire to be like necessarily, but once in power as president, he was able to work uh, some incredible progress for his country. Now, unfortunately, in in my opinion, his words in many cases were not reflected uh, in his actions. But I don't think that this is a direction that he would have gone. And when we read stories like this where we have a developed nation whose leadership is saying the solution to our problems is to take everything from a people group because of the color of their skin that's time for a serious and difficult conversation now we now are at a point where we have to ask some very difficult questions because yeah this land was seized by white men and in many instances and in some it was it was purchased or traded for or whatever, but in most cases it was taken. And at some point in history it passed from one group to another by violence or whatever other means. Who then has a claim on the land? Should it be given back to the people who originally held it? And if so, how do we determine who those people would actually be? At what point, then, are individuals no longer responsible for the actions of their grandparents, great-grandparents, or great-great-grandparents? Or can that point be reached? Is there ever a point in history or a point in time where we come to a place where we can say, Okay, you did not do this, so you will not be punished for something that your relatives did hundreds of years ago. Now, granted, in South Africa, I get it. The, the 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 situation is much more modern. The history is much shorter in South Africa. We we still had apartheid up until nineteen ninety. But as far as the land issue, this isn't something that's unique to South Africa. I mean, what do you think the Palestinian conflict is about? It's about the land. Who owns it? Who took it from whom? And in that instance, we can literally go back to Joshua and Moses and watch Israel come in and take land away from all kinds of different people groups, which actually, according to God's word, the land was already theirs through Abraham. But at that time, when, the, when Joshua and Moses came through, it wasn't Abraham's descendants that were living there. It was other people. They were all down in Egypt, and then they came back to conquer. So is it really theirs? Do they have a rightful claim to any land, anywhere? Palestinians would say, absolutely not. Because, you know, Abraham wasn't, you know, the first guy to live there. So do we need, or should we, Be giving every inch of the globe back to those who originally lived there? And if so, how do we determine who those people were? And how do we determine who their descendants would be? It's a messy conversation. And that's why I was hesitant to even get into this today, because most people don't even think about this, let alone discuss it, let alone talk about it on the radio. How do we fix the past when we live in the present? Look, the murder, the rape, the pillaging, the vast racism and lack of of human rights wasn't merely something done in the 1600s by the Dutch, nor was it reserved for the British of the 1700s or even the United Government that utilized apartheid just decades ago. Murder, rape, pillaging, racism. It's still happening in South Africa today over 300 recorded cases of gross violence against white farmers in the last year alone why because they're white and now we have Julius Malema the leader of South Africa who's saying that white farmers are criminals and that the time for reconciliation is over and now is the time for justice well justice justice for what justice for whom Those pushing this measure are effectively saying that the way to solve a problem from hundreds of years ago is essentially to recreate it today. It's wrong. And it's highly unlikely to work. I mean, White farmers in South Africa are being brutally murdered every week. I, f- I believe it's... I'm trying... I, I read somewhere... Uh, I don't remember the number, so I'm not going to say it, but there's a... I, I forget how many farmers are murdered or attacked each week in South Africa. Because their skin is white, but it's high. The 340 is just the violent crimes. Where there's rape or kidnapping, or murder involved. Seizing this land without compensation isn't going to make a very bad situation better. It's going to make it worse. Not only for the farmers, not only for race relations, and look, I'm not saying that anything that was done in the past in this country has been good or right or just. Mandela did a lot of good. But obviously, it wasn't enough because now we're just back to square one. It's just that the the color scheme is reversed, if you will. And I don't know. I don't know the solution. I don't know if there is a solution. I don't know how we decide at what point people are no longer responsible for things that were done in the past by their ancestors but what I can tell you is that utilizing the methods of the past that going back to a us versus them mentality in South Africa or anywhere else but particularly in South Africa particularly in this situation is not going to work and in this case there's a perfect example you can ask Zimbabwe what happened when they did almost the same thing and seized farmlands in a very similar matter, and their economy just plummeted. This is a bad, bad idea for South Africa. I and I just I find it so hard to believe that something like this could still be happening in our world today. But it is, and the people of South Africa, the Christians of South Africa, need our prayers, and I'm, I'm, I'll tell you a little bit more about that. Uh, When we return, we got to take a break because I need some water. And then, oh boy, I had so much to talk about today. I'm going to have to skip over the one issue that I wanted to discuss. We'll save that for next week and we will get right into something else that happened this past week that you may or may not care about, may not think you care about. And I'm going to share with you why maybe you do when you just don't even know it. (laughs) Don't go away. Alright, so today is International Women's Day, and I so badly wanted to talk about Women's History Month today, and I just, I can't. I want to, but I can't, because it will still be Women's History Month next month, so I'm going to save that, or next month, no it won't. Next week it will still be Women's History Month, so we will discuss that next week, because I'm running out of time because I went way over on the whole South Africa thing but it's just it's it's amazing to me that we still have something like this happening in our world today where it's just it's th- that we think that this could be a solution. <sighs> anyway, I we covered that. Need to move on. Okay. So, the Oscars. I know, I could hear the collective groaning from your vehicles. <laughs> You're like, do we care? We don't care. Ugh! I know. I didn't. I didn't care either. I really didn't care. I didn't care at all. I forgot they were even happening. I had no idea who won. But uh, one of my, one of my siblings is 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 a, is a movie buff and cares about these things. And we were discussing earlier this week the Oscars and, quite frankly, her disgust with the Oscars. And how they have become a mockery of all things good. And how out of touch they are with the American people. And I realized as I was talking to her that, wow, there are people that really do care about these things. And maybe we should talk about it. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, yes, I am going to talk about this. So, let's talk about the Oscars. Stay with me. I promise it will be worth it, okay? And this conversation, anyway. Okay. People are going to see Christian movies today. Why? So, that's a good question, especially if you saw some of the earlier ones we made. But here's the reason it's not because they have the best acting, clearly. <laughs> it's because they're wholesome. And, you know, we are finally getting some with good acting, even like Mom's Night Out, that was pretty good. And I mean look, I love Kirk Cameron. He has a phenomenal ministry. He works with Ray Comfort now. They're doing great things. But if you grew up in church, you know the era of Christian movies, like when it began like Flywheel. If you ever saw Flywheel, I'm telling you, it was kind of it was it was hard. I'm not it's we can be honest here, okay? Family talk right now. Flywheel and early Christian movies were difficult to get through. The original Left Behind movies you know you saw those, and you kind of wish you had that time of your life back. I know that, okay? But these movies, they're improving, and people are going to see them now, even in theaters. Why? Because they're wholesome. Because their whole family can see them. Why do you think that Disney now is remaking all the old movies? Yes, you know, maybe, maybe today's Script writers aren't as creative and they're not coming up with good storylines, so they just have to recreate anything. That's probably part of it. But why do we have a new Mary Poppins and a Winnie the Pooh and Aladdin and Lion King and Cinderella and on and on and on it goes? I think there's, I know there's more that I'm missing. I mean, they they just did Beauty and the Beast. They did Jungle Book. And granted, I understand none of these are Christian movies, and some Christians would argue that there are some very dark themes in many Disney movies. Some Christians don't even let their children watch Disney movies. I get all of that. I grew up in a home where Disney movies were very carefully screened. I didn't see Aladdin or Lion King until I was in my 20s. And though Mary Poppins was my favorite movie, we weren't allowed to own it because Mary Poppins was a witch. Okay, I'm not bitter about it. I don't mock my parents for it. I appreciate that they were doing what they thought was best for us, and they always explain their reasoning, and I appreciate that. My point being, I get it. I get that Disney isn't a Christian company. I understand all of that. I'm just using them as an example, okay? So though though their movies have contained elements like magic and so on, for the most part, for the most part, the old Disney classics were clean, family-friendly films. There wasn't this disgusting level of, of sex and violence and drugs and alcohol and perversion that you see in so much of what we call Entertainment today and Disney is having success with these remakes because families are starving for wholesome entertainment in today's culture. So, as an example, there's this movie that's been a huge hit for months. It's lasted longer in theaters than many other movies right now. The public loves it. It's called The Greatest Showman. And leading up to the Oscars, there were many people who thought that it would do well in the Oscars. It's the story of the, uh, of the circus guy, um, Barnum, P.T. Barnum. Then there's this other movie that was out for a while called Wonder, the story of a little boy who's, who's disabled. And uh, and how he overcomes that, and how his family struggles with that, and it's just a is a tear-jerking heart-wrencher. And people thought that that would do well. And there's been a number of just good movies last year. Star Wars, The Last Jedi. Now, I, again, I I get it. None of these are perfect examples. Okay, none of these are Christian movies, but they're decent movies with wholesome storylines that people thought oh hey public response to these movies has been amazing they should do really well at the Oscars I'm not endorsing any of these movies I'm not saying you should take your family to them I'm, I'm just saying they're they're movies where it's not this overly perverted twisted Hollywood push that's that's what I'm saying I'm, I'm just trying to let you know that these are the movies that people thought wow public response has been really good to these they should do well I'm not I'm not saying that you should take your family to see them or anything like that. You do what you believe is best with your family with movies, clear play, whatever that whatever your thing is, I'm not that's not the point of the conversation, okay? Because we're talking about the Oscars specifically right now. So what happens with the Oscars? Hollywood, the academy, in complete rejection of public opinion and totally disconnected from what people are actually spending money on. No, so the the academy goes absolutely crazy for the most warped, twisted, disgusting film outside of the plethora of ever intensifying horror productions, by the way. But th- this movie, I I read about it and I was just mortified. I didn't watch it for obvious reasons. I didn't even know about it. Until it won all this stuff at the Academy Awards. And I was talking to my sister about it. And she was like, do you understand what movie just won? And why Hollywood is so excited that it won? I was like, no, I have no idea. And so we started having this conversation. And then I went to Plugged In, which is a a ministry from Focus on the Family. Plugged In Movie Review. They review movies. They review games. They review books. It's a fantastic resource. You should use it if you don't. Plugged In Movie Reviews. Um, But so there's this movie. It's called The Shape of Water. It won Best Picture. It won Best Director. It won Best Original Music Score. It won Best Production Design. It was nominated for Best Actress, Best Supporting Actress, Best Supporting Actor, Best Original Screenplay, Best Cinematography, Best Costume Design, Best Film Editing, Best Sound Mixing, and Best Sound Editing. In case you lost track, that's 13 things it was nominated for, four of which it won. That is a huge amount of things. So when you hear about a movie that has 13 nominations, you expect it to be a wow movie. Now, parents, if you are listening with your kiddos right now, I'm about to talk about some things that that, that may be not suitable for the youngest listeners. All right. Um, I, I, I won't. It won't be, obviously, it's a family program, so I'll still be careful, but I'm just saying if you don't want to have to explain about interspecies relationships to your children right now this morning, then you you may want to turn on Adventures in Odyssey CD or something. Alright, so I read this review about this movie from Plugged In, which, by the way, every movie... Generally speaking, before I watch it, I read the Plugged In Review because they're usually fantastic. They tell you exactly uh, if there are elements in the movie that would be concerning. They tell you what those elements would be, whether it be drugs, alcohol, uh, language, whatever. Um, Plugged In is a fantastic resource. But So I read the Plugged In Review and I just wanted to vomit. It was so repulsive just to read about this movie. I, I don't even know how to describe it. And I can't even describe it, other than to say that the film that was nominated for and won all these awards centered on the emotional and physical relationship between a woman and a creature. And I know there's going to be comparisons here to The Little Mermaid, but this is, this is different, okay? Ariel at least became human, was half human to begin with. Uh, in this production, it's literally a creature, a thing. There is no humanity. And this creature remains a thing and has no chance of becoming anything other than a thing. There's not magic. There's not that it's trying to become human. There's nothing of that nature. It is a thing and a woman and their relationship. And as such... We have rapidly progressed from where at last year's Oscars, the the Academy chose Moonlight, the glorification of a gay relationship over La La Land, to this year, them picking The Shape of Water, which is the glorification of bestiality over movies like Star Wars Last Jedi or Wonder Woman or Wonder or Greatest Showman or whatever else. And by the way, The Shape of Water, this warped, disgusting, perverted movie, grossed $54 million total at the box office. That is peanuts in the movie industry, and half of those profits came only after its Oscar nomination. No one was going to see this movie. Now contrast that to, say, Star Wars Last Jedi, which grossed $619 million in theaters, or Wonder Woman grossed $413 million in theaters. And I know what you're thinking at this point. You're like, uh, Crystal, uh, do we care? Like, why are you telling us this? Because I want to make four points here. All right? As I've been, as I talked with my sister about this, and as I thought about it over the week, and I watched people's reactions to this thing, I, I here's the conclusions that I came to. Number one, if you do not have a religious conviction against going to movie theater, and I know many, I have many friends that do, and I completely respect that, Um, But if you don't have that conviction, then please, when good, clean, wholesome movies come out, please go and support them. I'm not saying you need to go see Peter Rabbit. I don't even know if it's a good movie because I haven't checked with Plugged In yet. But for example, Tortured for Christ. The story of Richard Wurmbrand, that was released in theaters last week. That is worth your time. That is worth your support. When Christian movies and good, wholesome family movies come out, we can send a message. We do send a message to Hollywood when we go see those movies. And again, the reason Disney's making all these live-action remakes, it's because people are going to see them. If If we go see the good stuff... They'll keep making good stuff because what people pay for is what they're going to cater to. And in the end, these studios would rather make six hundred and nineteen million on a non-Oscar winning movie than fifty-four million on an Oscar winner because in the movie industry, just like everything else, it's all about the money. Number two. Please, please, please research what you're going to see before you see it and know and supervised what your children are watching. This movie that won all of this stuff, disgusting, perverted, sick. But there were still $54 million worth of people that went to go see it. Please use resources like Plugged In. Look, I've been there. I've, I've had people, good-meaning people, tell me, oh, you have to rent this movie, or you have to go see this movie, and I sit down, I get a few minutes or an hour into it, and all of a sudden, I'm like, oh my goodness, I have to leave because it's not appropriate. Please don't base your movie decisions on what I or anyone else tells you or anyone on TV tells you. Definitely not what the Oscars tell you. Just don't. Do your own research. I mean, unless it's like Roma Downey promoting her latest faith-based film with Brett Bear, then maybe that's acceptable. But otherwise, do your own research. Focus on the Family has made this simple for you. Plugged in. It's a great, great resource. I'm actually going to look it up right now because I think it's pluggedin.com, but I don't want to send you there if it's like .org or something. Okay, it is .com. It's pluggedin.com. Fantastic resource. Use it. Okay, thirdly, the slippery slope that people talk about, it is real. Every time I talk with someone who is less conservative than myself, not even necessarily liberals, but every time I talk with people who you know, may be in the church or may be conservative but would be you know, less conservative than me, every time we talk about the slippery slope, individuals that lean towards the tolerance side of things, not that we should be intolerant, but but those that are champions for quote unquote tolerance when I talk about the slippery slope they look at me like I'm crazy you know if I say well if bakers are forced to bake the cake then soon pastors are going to be forced to perform anti-biblical marriages in churches they're like no, no we can just let them have that it'll be fine if I say if we redefine marriage between any two people that's a step down a slippery slope If if it's just about love then why only two people, why only people why is there an age limit they're like no, that's ridiculous that would never happen well, it is happening, and much faster than I thought, I mean, Hollywood is celebrating and 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 rejoicing over their supposed modernism and tolerance and hailing themselves as ultra progressive for going for 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 nominating and giving awards to a film which glorifies and promotes bestiality. This is a backwards thinking, this is not forward thinking. We literally have done things in reverse. I mean, bestiality and all kinds of sexual perversion were commonplace in ancient Rome and Greece and so many different cultures across the globe. And quite honestly, it's really amazing where America and even Western culture in general is at and, and uh, in this whole thing. And I, I know that we have this absolute epidemic of people living together before and outside of marriage and pornography is out of control and we have evil still in our world today. But if it, the 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 perversion that has has permeated society for millennia the the things that cultures used to do would just horrify you i mean greek boys used to be kidnapped by greek men their families and friends helping these men kidnap these boys and they'd spend months being abused and this was held as an admirable thing and an honorable thing in society and promoted there's just there's there's disgusting disgusting perversion that satan has has used in cultures throughout our history and and where we are today is really nothing like uh, what what was done in the past and it, sometimes we forget that because all we see is the evil that's now um and we we don't realize how how the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Judeo-Christian values on which this country was built have kept generations of Americans from deep, dark levels of perversion that much of the world, historically speaking, has embraced in the past. But now, instead of recognizing that God's way made a difference and that God's way is the best way and that God's way works, Hollywood is super excited about them taking massive leaps backwards in this area. So the slippery slope is very, very real. Don't allow yourself to watch absolute filth and garbage like this. Be aware of what's going on. And fourthly, and this is an important one that I think we forget sometimes, don't get discouraged by things like the Oscars. Because it's all glitz and it's glam, but it's just a show. The films that are being hailed as the greatest ever by the Academy, that are so warped and twisted, that we look at and are repulsed by, we're not the only ones. America as a whole and American families are rejecting them. Just because Hollywood says it's cool doesn't mean that that's what all of America thinks. Remember that when some TV entertainer or personality is telling you what America is actually like or what Americans do or should think. No, there are a lot more people out there who think like you than who don't. Yeah, sure, the Oscars may have said that a film glorifying bestiality was the best one we've had in generations, but Americans, with our dollars, we do not agree. So you can live in a state of gloom and doom over our country because of things like this that happen within our country or or you can realize that these people promoting these things are still the minority. They just happen to be a very vocal minority and they're the squeaking wheel that's getting the oil. If you've made it this far in today's program, Thank you for listening. You're my hero. I appreciate you. I, I told you, I warned you that today was going to be heavy stuff, and that I was going to ramble on on different things. And and both of today's topics were based on real conversations I've had with real people just in the past week. You know, and it it may seem discouraging that farmers are having their lands seized in South Africa, based on a continuing issue of of racism and racial tension in that country. And it may be disheartening that the Oscars. Uh, went the way that they did and that that is the type of thing that Hollywood is glorifying in our society. But here's the thing. We don't need to be discouraged about either one of these issues because in South Africa, churches and pastors are rising up and speaking out and working with communities to solve the problems that their government is continually failing to fix because the government isn't the answer in that country. It hasn't been for centuries. But churches now have an incredible opportunity in that country, we need to pray for our Christian brothers and sisters in South Africa and the work that they are doing and the doors that are open for them. And as for the Oscars, don't be discouraged. Look at the facts. Look at the numbers. The Oscars may be picking the filth, but Americans as a whole were rejecting this junk left and right. And we have great resources, like Plugged In, that we can and we should use. If you've never visited their website before, you need to do it today. No, Plugged In is not a sponsor of this ministry. It's a fellow nonprofit. Okay, it's pluggedin.com. Pluggedin.com. Know what you're going to see. Know what your children are going to see. Be informed. They they let you know if anything is going to spoil anything, so you don't have to worry about spoilers. But just utilize the things, the resources that God has given us to help your family be the best that it could be. And that's the show. Thank you for being with us today. I do hope that I haven't scared you away, and you'll join us again tomorrow for Fun Friday. And for those of you who just do the podcast thing, we will have a new episode up for you next week, and I promise we will get to Women's History Month next week, because I had a whole big thing prepared about that, but we ran out of time. Join us for Church Sunday, 930 or 1115. Our address is 6501 West Lake Mead Boulevard. Did I say that service times are nine thirty and eleven fifteen? I think I did already say that. Either way, <laughs> either one, you should come to our Sunday night at six p.m. or you can catch us online at experienceliberty.com. Have a great day, everyone.